You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Joe Hopkins. I'm Dave Griffiths. Once again, Mike Chappell, off for now, but soon, like the Colts, to come back again and uh, join our airwaves with uh, his always on point analysis. So this day, we will predict which Colts will be elected to the Pro Bowl this season. We will see which Colts have made ESPN's top 10 list in their positional rankings that was just released this week. Also, I teased it last week. We didn't get to it. We'll get to it this week, I promise. I'll look at some statistical milestones within reach for a couple of the Colts' veteran players. But first, we'll start with the news across the league, and we begin with the Washington football team fined $10 million by the NFL after an investigation into the team's workplace culture. Now, this investigation began... Last year, after allegations arose of harassment, of bullying, and uh, the, the investigation ultimately, Joe, found the, foot, uh, the, the workplace there to be, quote, highly unprofessional, end quote, uh, especially for women. It was not, it was not a good uh, result if you, if you read the report of the investigation. It was not a pretty picture that was painted of what was going on behind the scenes. And so the NFL really cracked down hard on them with a $10 million fine and also owner Dan Snyder, of course, stepping away from operations there for some time now. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are upset that there wasn't a heavier punishment such as draft picks being taken away or, I don't know, I know suspension's been thrown out. I'm not sure exactly who you're going to suspend. It kind of seems like Dan Snyder, in a way, is being suspended by stepping away for a little bit. But this just makes me kind of appreciate the organization that the Colts have even more in that the Colts just seem to have a high-character organization from the top down, um, from Jim Mercer all the way through. I know he's had his issues um, with substances way back in the past. That was quite some time ago. Um, but I think we've come to learn since then that that's not necessarily a, uh, uh, you know, an indictment as you as a person. A lot of people can go through things like substance issues. This seems like a more serious issue that's been going on in Washington for quite some time. And I'm just happy as a Colts fan, I don't really have to worry about this within Indianapolis's organization too it, much. It's just a franchise that has been under the microscope and in a bad way, it seems like, too often it, during my lifetime. Like they, they won a couple Super Bowls early in my lifetime, and they were a part of the, uh, the NFC East, the NFC Beast in the early 90s, where the Cowboys won Super Bowls, the Giants won Super Bowls. The, uh, the Redskins at that time won Super Bowls, and the Eagles were a pretty good team as well with Buddy Ryan's defense and Randall Cunningham, the quarterback, just never could. And, of course, Reggie White never could quite get over that hump in that division. But, uh, but, but since then, really, there have, been, there have been more negative stories, it seems like, than positive stories that, that come out, whether it's um, j- just what happened, I think it was within this last year, Joe, when, um, when Jay Gruden came out and talked about the, the process of making draft picks um, with uh, the, they would the uh, they would go into a room. They would all debate. Uh, the front of the scouting team and the coaching staff would come out with a player, and then Dan Snyder would I think the quote was step off his yacht and make the pick when when it came down to uh, the the day to day or that's how the the franchise was run in, in a microcosm example. So it, it's unfortunate to see, but at the same time, if Dan Snyder is stepping away, maybe this is better for him and the franchise in the long term. Well, and hopefully this you know leads to the change that it sounds like very much needs to happen in Washington because no NFL franchise, no one working for an NFL franchise should have to deal with harassment and bullying and things like that. I understand it could be a tough 
uh, environment just because of the competitive nature of the league, but it seems like things often went too far there. Um, and I'm glad that uh, e- even if you think the punishment's a little too light, hopefully, nonetheless, it, it causes the change that needs to happen. Yeah, that, that's a line that I think in, in NFL circles and in many professional organizations that has to be straddled. If you're really a competitive business and a competitive franchise in this case, there needs to be some kind of fire lit under people. And uh, the, the best franchises will have that organically. Um, and, and the, the franchises that, that need improvement, we shall say, that's the nicest way I can put it, um, try to try to do it in different ways, perhaps that that ultimately aren't effective. So I I, I don't want to get too much into this because I'm not there. I'm not boots on the ground, and so I don't want to talk uh, out of my rear end, uh, so to speak, about the specifics. But um, but like I said, it was it was not a pretty picture painted on the uh, the organization. And uh, heck, I, me and Indy, I like we've met um, Terry McLaurin a couple times, the great wide receiver for for Washington now, because he's he's a local kid out of Indy Cathedral, and he. He's, he's a wonderful young man. Love talking to him. Very insightful, very smart, and a heck of a football player. So it, it, I don't want to say this is an indictment on the whole organization for, for sure. It, it's an indictment on some of the leadership there. They have people in the building. I know because I know Terry a little bit. Not that I'm saying I'm friends with him, but I'm friendly with him um, that, um, that, are, that are quality people. So we hope that the right people get the right power at the right time, and hopefully things turn around there. So back here closer to Indy, Carson Wentz was working out with some pass catchers down in Texas this past week. Rookie wide receiver Michael Strawn was the one to post some photos of the workouts out on Instagram. Um, good to see uh, players like Michael Pittman Jr., Des Patman, Paris Campbell, Zach Paschal, Mo Alleycox, Kylan Granson, all there catching some balls from Carson, and also Jacob Eason there. So uh, I, I think this is like, – you see this from a lot of teams, and a lot of uh, players will, will do this. And, Joe, I think especially – in a year where you're getting a new quarterback, this happens. We saw it last year with Tom Brady organizing workouts. Even I think some of them were frowned upon by the yeah. NFL because of the COVID restrictions. But uh, it, it's it's crucial to to get on the same page as people to to get a better feel for your quarterback if you're a wide receiver who's been here forever to get a better feel of your receivers if you're a quarterback who's coming in. So uh, I'm I'm not I don't think any Colts fans will do cartwheels and say woo Carson Wentz all pro he's working out with his uh, receivers in the off season. But at the same time you're like. This is what needs to happen, so you're glad it's happening. Yeah, I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast knows that how important timing is in the passing game. And so Carson, it's good to see him out there with his new weapons, getting that timing down, um, especially with some of the younger guys like Pittman Jr., Paris Campbell, Kylan Granson. Uh, every time I bring up Kylan Granson's name, for some reason I start to smile. I just think good <laughs> things are going to happen with Kylan Granson, whether this year or in the future. But it's good to see. It's not... It's one of those extra things that's kind of necessary at this point. Like, I feel like most, if you're a starting NFL quarterback and you're not getting your guys together to work out at some point in the offseason, you're probably not going to be a starting NFL quarterback for long. Um, so while it is kind of extra in that it's not an organized team activity, it is kind of a ne- become a necessity for teams around the league to do this. I'm also not reading too much into the fact that you didn't see T.Y. Hilton or Jack Doyle among the, this group. I, 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 and I don't think anybody was. I just thought that that would be a possibility. You could see, oh, there's no T.Y., no Jack. They're the veterans, the leaders, and the pass catchers aren't there. What's going on? I, I, like, I, I, I'm not going that far, and I don't think you should go that far right now. First of all, when you get to camp and when uh, the Colts were together back in minicamp, like those are the guys that Carson is throwing to most of the time. 
So he has more reps with those veteran guys during the times when the Colts are all together. Some of these guys, especially when you get to guys like a Kylan Granson or a Desmond Patman, uh, are guys that uh, don't get those same reps with the starting unit all that time. So to, to have just a little bit of familiarity, it, it helps in their development and also just helping just in case uh, Carson needs to be thrown to them maybe more than we might expect this coming year. Oh, yeah. Injury, injuries are going to happen. I, I would be shocked if the Colts' top four wide receivers stayed healthy the entire year. So he might have to throw passes to Mike Strong or Desmond Patman or whoever it might be. Or a new wide receiver who isn't quite on the team yet. Speaking of a new wide receiver that isn't on the team yet, Patriots 2019 first-round pick Nikhil Harry has requested a trade. Saw a post online from his agent. In a statement, Harry's uh, that agent uh, noted that he only had 20, uh, 86 targets over two seasons and says it's time for a fresh start. I will note that he was injured for a good portion of his rookie it was year. Like over half his rookie exactly. year. Exactly. So, so of course his agent's going to throw out stats that look to be in his favor. So, so you you're like, okay, fine. Um, but at the same time, it was certainly not the most productive first two years. And last year, when he was trying to get used to again a new quarterback coming in and Cam Newton, and um, this year they went out and spent big money in free agency on a lot of different players, a couple pass catchers, a couple tight ends specifically that were brought in to uh, to the Patriots that I remember. So you see all this competition, uh, and from whatever you're hearing behind the scenes, if you're Harry and his agent, you think that something else is better for you. Um, he only has 45 catches in his two years, only four touchdowns. Uh, he's played in 21 games with 14 starts. And uh, Joe, you aptly note here that Michael Pittman Jr. is actually older than Nikhil Harry. He's about two months older. Uh, even though he has one fewer year, one less year, excuse me, of uh, of NFL experience, so, um, so he, he he was a great player coming out of college. He really was very dynamic. Um, a guy that, if I remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he's more. I don't I don't necessarily think a slot guy, but he's not the big receiver like Pittman is. But he is he's not uh, quite as big. He measured out at the combine about six two, almost okay. two thirty. Okay, that's bigger than I thought um, he was. Honestly, so he is a big guy, and yeah. he. He's not a – the whole target thing is like, well, if you get open more, you'll get the ball thrown to you more. Uh, and that's been – it was his biggest knock coming out of college and remains his biggest knock in the pros is a lack of separation and route running. Um, his agent even kind of noted um, that Nikhil Harry is one of the best at high-pointing the football, going up and getting it, uh, those kind of jump balls – where I think more times not the Patriots want you to get open before they throw you the football, and a lot of teams will. Um, but there's still a role for one of those big-body jump ball wide receivers, and he's great after the catch, too. He actually uh, was a very good punt and kick returner in college as well. So this is a guy who I actually liked quite a bit coming out. I would just, you know, if there's anything you can develop, it would be route running. You know, you can't teach size or so much of that ability, but you can teach route running. So I guess the question I would pose to you is, should the Colts be interested in trading for Nikhil Harry? I, I think the first thing you always say when that comes on is it depends on the price. And if he's a first-round pick two years ago, then you figure it's not going to be super cheap. But at the same time, if he wants to get out, maybe the price is cheaper than you think. So, it, and, and, and the second of all, if, if the first one is, well, what's the price? The second one is, well, how many teams will be interested? And that's something the chap always brings up when, when he's talking. Like, if there's two teams, then you have, then then you're tangoing. It takes two to tango. And that's that's the case with, like, just one team that wants to trade and one team that's interested. It's also the case with two teams that are interested. That that makes the tango rather fun. 
because then you go back and forth between two teams. You see if you can work the price up. It takes two teams who are really interested to keep things going up. So um, so that that's where you start, I guess, if you're a team that is interested in Nikhil Harry. But from my perspective, I, I find it hard to believe the Colts would be interested in him um, because of, again, what they have on their roster. And I think they're probably pretty happy right now. If this was happening into the season and you had an injury or two, then maybe. But like, you've got T.Y., who's your number one there. Um, you've got Pittman, who you hope is your number one in the future. You've got Campbell, who you think is, uh, if he stays healthy, a guy who can be really dangerous, like we saw at the start of last year. Um, then after that, there's guys that, like, pa- Pascal is, is solid right where he is. Um, you have a lot of guys behind him that you're trying to develop. You're trying to develop Strong. You're trying to develop Patman. Um, you're trying to continue the development of young guys like Ashton Doolin and Michael Harris. Um, not, not saying that, like, if, if you had a choice between Michael Harris and Nikhil Harry on your roster, you'd probably pick Nikhil Harry between those two. You'd likely pick Nikhil Harry. But at, at the same time, like, what, what are you going to pay him? You know, what, what, what investment do you need to make in this guy? And I don't think the Colts want to make the investment in Nikhil Harry just because of what they have on the roster. And plus, you're bringing in a guy now that, I, I mean, Carson Wentz hasn't met. He hasn't, like, he, he already has enough that's new around him, I think, right now. And like we just said, he's trying to get um, more used to his wide receivers. D- do you want to go out and make a, um, a move that makes your team better? Absolutely, I think you do. I don't think that stands in your way, the, the thought that this could be something else new to the guy. But I, I just I think if it's, if it's not for sure, then, then you don't do it right now. You're not trying to take these, uh, these flyers early on in the off, or late in the offseason, rather, before the, the preseason begins. And that's what I feel like this would be. It would be a flyer on a guy who really hasn't produced all that well in the NFL. And like you said, if he has a problem getting separation, then like that's something that, w- with the Colts, they're trying to spread the ball around to people. They're not trying to force it to anybody at any time. It's not, here's your read, go to it. It's, make the read on the defense, throw it to the open man. And, and if Nikhil Harry has trouble being the open man, then I don't see that there would be a solid place for him here on the Colts roster. Yeah, no, you make a lot of good points. Um, as far as the price, just a few minutes ago, Jeremy Fowler tweeted out that um, an NFL exec that he talked to estimates Harry will be worth a conditional six-round pick. That's um, not bad at all, obviously. No, and and he said he does expect several teams to be interested. This you know, young, talented player, first-round pick just two years ago, I I would be mildly interested if I was the Colts, and I think it might take a few weeks to go by in training camp and an injury or two to happen before the trade goes through. Maybe that drives even drives the price up a little bit mm-hmm. to a fifth or a fourth round pick. Um, but I just kind of look at it as if the if I was the Colts, I think a sixth round pick. Sure, I don't think you're going to get a player in the sixth round of next year's draft with Nikhil Harry's talent. And if you're looking at the long term with this most likely being T.Y. Hilton's final season with the Colts, um, whether he moves on in free agency or retires, he would have to have quite the season with Carson Wentz for him to come back again, and that's possible. I'm not ruling it out. But going into next year with your wide receiver core being Pittman Jr., Paris Campbell, and Nikhil Harry, that kind of looks like a decent long-term play. Um, and then as far as, you know, we always talk about special teams. You know, you're going to carry five receivers on game day, at least one of them has to be a special teamer. Harry, like I said, can return some punts. Um, and I know Zach Pascal can play on special teams as well. So he would most likely be fighting with Zach Pascal for that fourth wide receiver position. 
And I think this year, a lot of it would be he would be depth and kind of getting his feet wet with the Colts and then going, it would be more of a play going into next season with a young receiver that you try and develop, um, hopefully more successfully than the Patriots were able to the past two years. My concern would be if he's upset about his target share right now and yeah. he came to Indy. Oh, I don't think he would pick the Colts. Exactly. That's yeah. like he, he, it wouldn't improve his, his status there at all. So if you're the Colts, you're going to bring in a guy who's upset about his current target share. And you're probably not going to increase it if you bring him in. So, like, even if, like, your point is completely valid, that down the road, it might be a very good thing for this team. You give up a sixth-round pick and get a guy who has bottom of the first, top of the second-round talent. But at the same time, you're bringing in a guy who could be, I, I hate to use the word locker room cancer, but he could be just, I'm trying to think of a better word for it, but he could be... Not a Colts guy. Yeah, maybe that. That's, that's one way to put it. Just, he, he might... He just might not be happy here, and, and you bring in a guy to the locker room who's who's going to be the the sourpuss in the locker room because you're still not getting targeted when you wanted to trade so you can get targeted more. That's it's just not not a good idea, I don't think, to do. You bring, I, I, like I said, I think he has talent, but I just don't think he has the right makeup to to join this Colts team with that wide receiving group right now. And it's funny because you look around the league and you're like, well, where are you going to get a much better opportunity than New England, who has one of the worst wide receiver rosters in the league? They do. Um, it must just be more of a culture thing than anything. I know New England's a tough place for players to play. Uh, and I would agree with you. If I had to place a bet, I would say the Colts are not going to trade for Nikhil Harry if the Patriots are even interested in trading him away. All right. That, Like I said, it takes two to tango. So if the Patriots just... Bill Belichick just uh, invites him into his office. Is like you're staying here. We're we're not yeah. trading you. Not not for a sixth round pick. Not for a guy, someone we invested a first round pick in just two years ago. And I can completely see and understand him doing that. Um, and saying, look, here's our wide receiver group. Like you said, it's not that impressive right now. Who'd they bring in at, at uh, tight end? They brought in um they brought in two Hunter guys, Hunter Henry, Henry and Johnny Smith, Smith, and they signed uh, Nelson Aguilar as well. Okay. So well, Aguilar just drops the ball all the time. You just, ah, but uh, <laughs> anyway, like you're you're there and you're at least able to be competitive. I think you should be competitive. So I don't know if you if Belichick invites him in for a little come to Jesus talk there and just to be like, hey, knock it off. Um, but I think the for, for there the the bridge. I mean the uh, the ship might have sailed with what what his agent did. Um, he seemed to have kind of burned the bridge there with yeah. uh, with the Patriots in some way. So. Um, so, so we will see. It's something certainly to keep, keep your eye on over the, um, over the coming uh, weeks or whatever to see uh, what, what Nikhil Harry, uh, what, what ends up happening. And, and like you said, if there's an injury, something that happens early on in a training camp, then that could be a, uh, open the door. Hello. Yeah. yeah. For, for any team across the league, like let's say Keenan Allen gets hurt or something like that in, in, uh, Los Angeles. I had to think there for a second. Where are they? San Diego, Los Angeles with the chargers. And like uh, and, and Herbert needs needs another target there. That that would not be a ridiculous uh, thing. No, not so, at all. So yeah, so so we'll see what happens across the league. Um, is ultimately my point. Um, so that uh, moves us on to uh, ESPN's list of the top ten players at eleven different positions uh, in the NFL. ESPN surveyed more than fifty league executives, coaches, and scouts and players to help stack their lists. They're releasing, rather, a new position every day. And so far, we've seen edge rushers, interior defensive linemen, off-ball linebackers, cornerbacks, um, that, that group. And so the Colts, to make the list, 
Uh, DeForest Buckner in the interior defensive lineman is listed there as the third best in the league behind Aaron Donald and Chris Jones. Uh, I, I don't think that you can be upset that he's behind those two guys because those are two good guys, though. Nope. But like when it comes to Aaron Donald, he seems to be in a, a class among himself. Um, but when you come to Chris Jones, that's probably a good argument between who, who's number two behind him or if you go a step further, who's number two through out no number four or five in the league. They're probably pretty darn close to each other. So DeForest Buckner certainly considered by some of those in the NFL as one of the best at his position. Yeah, and it's just we'll talk about this in a little bit, but it's I'm glad the NFL execs recognized it because the fans did not recognize it last year and elect him to the Pro Bowl. Boo! Um, but he did make an All Pro, so he's clearly one of the best in his position. Um, him and Chris Jones are darn close, neck and neck. I would say. I remember a couple years ago we talked quite a bit about the Colts maybe signing Chris Jones, and they ended up trading for uh, DeForest Buckner. So I think Colts fans have to be happy with how that turned out. When an NFC executive said, once he gets those long arms on you, he can drive you back. He doesn't stop coming each play. is an incredible motor. So that's a, that's exactly what like you you're, uh, that you would want written up about a Colts defensive player, just from how Matt Eberflus wants players to play. It's long so, arms, yep, baby. Yep. <laughs> uh, get, get, him, get him in the, uh, their underwear in the combine. That's what Joe wants to see. He wants to see those measurements taken. That's right. Uh-huh. Uh, Darius Leonard ranked fourth in the NFL but for best off-ball linebacker, so that uh, that gives Darius something else to tape up inside his locker to show that uh, people think that there are three guys better than him. So that that's uh, I'm sure he's shaking his head just like you are right now, Joe. <laughs> that uh, that people think there are three linebackers or off-ball linebackers better than him in the NFL. I think it's pretty interesting that Devin White was ranked one. I did too. I was like, what? That kind of seems like recency biased with Tampa Bay winning the Super Bowl and going on that run and their defense being so stiff. Yep. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't argue he's, I would give him maybe top, top 10, definitely maybe top five, but number best off ball linebacker in the league seems a little stiff. Seems a little high. Yeah. That's okay though. Whatever. Fine. Number two, Fred Warner. Number three, Bobby Wagner. Um, Bobby Wagner, if, if you're going by the last eight years combined, then yeah, he certainly deserves a top top three spot, probably the top one spot. Um, Fred Warner, very good in San Francisco, very mm-hmm. good player. Um, and and the, the 49ers are happy with him, just like the Colts are, are happy incredibly with Darius. And what sets him apart is, again, something that an NFC coach said, are you getting to the ball and are you making plays? That is such a big part of the game. And Darius Leonard does that probably Joe more so than than anybody else in the NFL with his numbers combined for sacks, interceptions, forced fumbles. If Darius Leonard is near the ball, which he is, it seems like more often than not, there is always going to be a chance that something good happens on that play. Yeah, he makes the plays that really turn the game around. I don't know how many times we've given him credit for basically single-handedly winning the two Texans games. I know it takes more than just Darius, but man, those that 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 fumble uh, at the end of mm-hmm. the game is clutch and. It's those kind of plays that really just win or lose you the game. You can be solid down after down, but if you don't make that spectacular game-changing play, you're probably going to be around a 500 ball club. So Darius Leonard, certainly one of the best in the league. And I think four, I'm not mad at four. If no, it was I'm like not. Six, seven, Darius remember, is, but I'm not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's definitely a top five linebacker, arguably number one, but I'm a little biased. ESPN, once again, uh, surveying 50 league executive coaches and scouts to rank the top 10 players at 11 different positions. No Colts made the list for edge rusher or cornerback. 
which is not overly surprising for me, even though I'm sure people here will, will clamor for Kenny Moore's name on there. But, Joe, again, this is something that we've talked about, and when, when we'll, we'll get to, I'm sure, in, in a bit, too, when we're discussing uh, Pro Bowl p- potential for this year, that when people are looking at cornerbacks in terms of ranking them the best in the NFL, there's always a tendency to rank boundary corners higher than it is slot corners. And for, for better or for worse... Like, that's the case with Kenny Moore. If you're ranking slot corners, he's going to be in the top five, probably in the top two. Uh, If you're ranking just overall corners, some guys just get bigger numbers. They get more deflected passes. They get more interceptions. So it it seems like the, uh, when you're, when you're trying to rank a best of, that's the, um, that, that's the, the, the group that, that gets a little bit more of the love. Yeah. And I'll, I'll preface this with saying when I read the article, it made a little more sense to me. Because the question was kind of posed as in, you know, the NFL exec said, we want a cornerback who can lock down with the offense's number one guy. And that's not what Kenny Moore is going to do. He's not going to shadow a number one wide receiver or, you know, follow A.J. Brown. It's almost a different position that they're ranking here, that Kenny Moore technically plays the same position, but it's different. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and list the top ten who did make the list. Jalen Ramsey, Marlon Humphrey, Xavier, Xavier Howard. Stephon Gilmore, Trey White, Jer Alexander, Marshawn Lattimore. No, no argument with any of any them. Any of those guys, yeah. And then we got Denzel Ward, Darius Slay, and J.C. Jackson. Um, Ward was really good his rookie year. He's kind of not been as mm-hmm. consistent the last two years. I thought Darius Slay was kind of interesting. He seems a little past his peak at this point in his career. J.C. Jackson had eight interceptions last year, so I can't really argue with any of that. Right. Um, but I think... The point is, all of those players, if you want to have Shadow and Offense's number one wide receiver, would be the choice over Kenny Moore because of Kenny Moore's position in the slot and also his size. He's only 6'9", so you're not going to have him shadow some of those big wide receivers out there. And again, no Colts on the edge rusher list, and that is 0% surprising. There are certainly 10 better edge rushers in the NFL right now than are on the Colts rosters. As much as uh, you might love Quiddy Pay out Hopefully there. And Joe loves Quiddy. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he'll be up there. Quiddy Pay number one, right? Yeah, Colts got yeah. rid of all their edge rushers from yeah, years right? ago. Yeah, so. real. So, yeah, seriously. Whole, whole, whole new ball, uh, whole new uh, group there. Um, um, before yeah. we move on here, thinking about positions, is there any other Colts you think, uh, obviously, I think... Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson, obviously. Is going to make the guard list. I think that uh, Ryan Kelly will certainly make the center list, unless they do offensive line in general, and I don't think they are. I think they're doing them. It might even be... Are they doing interior offensive linemen grouped as a whole? Okay, then maybe Ryan Kelly makes that list, and I think he should still make that list with Quentin Nelson if they just do 10. Um, I really think he should. And then, uh, yeah, uh, when it comes to tackles... You can make an argument that Eric Fisher deserves that spot if you're looking at uh, outside guys because he was a pro bowler last year, um, but he just might get pushed out of it because of his injury, even though that Mm -hmm. really shouldn't be the case if you're making a top 10 list because you're anticipating guys are healthy. Um, When you're picking pro bowlers, which we'll get to in a bit, then maybe you're not thinking uh, that. You certainly have to take health into account. Um, But uh, I, I think those two for sure, maybe three on the offensive line, I think you can make a good argument for Jonathan Taylor at running back being top 10. Carson Wentz will not make the top 10. T.Y. Hilton will not make the top 10. Uh, Jack Doyle will not make a top 10. So so I think that there you go. Like that's those are the kind of the biggest names out there that, that would still be there. So Q for sure. I think Kelly is almost guaranteed. Fisher, perhaps. And then Taylor 
perhaps to maybe more than likely will, will be there. Those are my those are my picks. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I think Taylor will definitely get in, um, especially the tear he went on at the end of the year. Um, Q, yes, Kelly probably, and then after that, um, it's it's really tough with the tackles. Uh, it is. There are a lot of really good tackles. Yeah, and if you include, if it's just like top ten left and right tackles combined, that's that's going to be a hard list to make. Moving on to predicting the Colts Pro Bowlers for this coming season. So last year, the Colts had a couple players. I think they had three or four, um, if I remember correctly. Uh, we, we, you, you even printed out a list, and I'm just ignoring it entirely, Joe. Where, where is it here um, <laughs> that, that we had there Colts? You go. Yeah, the, the most that any team had was seven, and I wrote that down over here. Uh, Kansas City, Green Bay, Baltimore, and Seattle all had seven Pro Bowl players. Last year, the Colts Pro Bowlers were Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and Darius Leonard. It was those three. So it was three um, players on the Colts team to be Pro Bowlers last year. So here's what we're going to do. We're each going to predict repeat Pro Bowlers. um, And that we can include even players who've been elected to Pro Bowls in the past that weren't last year. There's a good number of those on the Colts roster. Yeah. And we'll talk about, uh, we'll each predict at least one first-time Pro Bowler. And at the end of the day, give a percentage chance that Carson Wentz makes the Pro Bowl. Because I think a lot of people would be interested in that, too. So uh, let's start with repeat Colts Pro Bowlers. Like I said, uh, the three guys who made it last year, specifically Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and Darius Leonard, Joe, I think they all have really good chances to be Pro Bowlers yet again in 2021, which is technically the 2022 Pro Bowl roster, I guess. Yeah, I think Quentin Nelson makes it 4-4 four for four with Pro Bowls in his uh, four-year career. Ryan Kelly and Darius Leonard both make their third. Then after that, I think DeForest Buckner makes it. I think uh, it was a sham he didn't make it last year. Um, who made it in, in front of him? Clayus Campbell. Clayus Campbell was the big one, the big name that was like, what's he doing there? Yeah. Um, and then like uh, you had... Uh, the Kansas City guy that we just mentioned that Chris I'm Jones. Uh, thank you, Chris Jones. Then there was someone else that was that was legitimately a really good player. I thought that that deserved a spot there. But you only get three. Cam Hayward. Once again, that's it. Cam Hayward for for Pittsburgh. Um, so so anyway, that that's that's why it, he, that he wasn't there, even though he certainly deserved to be there. I think in in everyone in Indianapolis's mind. And uh, I'm not trying to knock Calais Campbell, who's had a tremendous career. But uh, just in that year, in last season, was not as good as as DeForest Buckner by virtually any metric except for the vote that allowed him to be into the Pro Bowl. That was it. Yeah. So, so and I was kind of surprised to see. I looked at DeForest. He's only made one Pro Bowl. Uh, yep. It was the 2018 Pro Bowl. So hopefully we can get him a few more here. Uh, I mean, he was a first team All Pro for goodness mm-hmm. sakes. Get him in the dang Pro Bowl. I'll make this note also about uh, Ryan Kelly, who's been in or out of the Pro Bowl the past few years. He's been like teetering, tottering on the edge. But now that Marquis Marquise Pouncey is retired, Joe, he was always a mainstay in the Pro Bowl for uh, on the Steelers roster. So now that you have another one of those guys that was a perennial Pro Bowler, no longer in the league. That just makes it a little bit easier for Ryan Kelly to be there. And as Kelly continues to get one year older, you know, at the time and one year better, I think he's going to solidify himself as probably a pro bowler if things go well for him every other year at something like that, maybe. Um, yeah. just depends on what uh, what other people do throughout the year and, and if he stays healthy and all that, of course. So that's that's something you would certainly hope for with uh, with Kelly. Yeah, I think Kelly, the biggest thing will just be health. If he's healthy, I mm-hmm. think he'll make it, especially with Pouncey gone. Uh, he's kind of he's got that name recognition now. The Colts have the reputation as one of the best O lines, so they're going to get several linemen at mm-hmm. least two each year elected. I think Kelly 
Um, as long as he's healthy, he'll make it again. Here are the guys that we did not select as uh, players who have been to the Pro Bowl before. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, Jack Doyle, Xavier Rhodes, Eric Fisher, Carson Wentz. We'll get to Wentz later. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. From, from that group, Joe, I think the most likely to make it is Eric Fisher, but that completely depends on the number of games he plays. Mm-hmm. If, if he misses the first five games of the year and then comes on late, he's probably not going to be a Pro Bowler. And also, another point that I made just a few minutes ago you only get three. You get three tackles. That's it. And that's left tackles and right tackles. So you look at who's out there in the AFC, and uh, and with Fisher, you have guys like Laramie Tunsil. You have, um, oh, shoot, who, who was I going to say? Ronnie Stanley, who was injured all last year. You have Orlando Brown, who filled in for Rodney Stanley all last year, who's now over with Kansas City. So those are three elite, elite tackles right now. That's going to be really hard to get past them if they all stay healthy. Um, at the same time, it's possible for sure. But I think out of those guys that I listed, Eric Fisher would probably be the most likely to make it for a consecutive time uh, in, into into the Pro Bowl. And uh, Taylor Lewan should be back for the Titans yeah, that now too. this year, and Good he was point. injured, so he'll be another uh, stiff competitor. Um, so yeah, it's going to be tough. I, if I had to bet, I would say Eric Fisher does not make it this year. Maybe if he resigns with the Colts and stays healthy, he, he can get in. Uh, 2022 mm-hmm. season but I, it's gonna be tough for him to get in now year. now i've i've been ty hilton's biggest supporter over the past couple weeks you've heard me on, on this Colts blue zone podcast i do i love ty this year i love him but like I, i'm not loving him to the level of a pro bowl receiver and for several reasons one is uh his normal year with a like if he gets 65 70 catches and 1100 yards and five touchdowns i think that's a great year for ty hilton and that that's what i'm talking about for for a great year for ty hilton um back to averaging 15 16 yards a catch again instead of 11 or 13 what he has the past couple years um but you have guys like tyree kill stefan Diggs, keenan allen aj brown julio jones now uh whichever browns wide receiver whether it's beckham or landry i think yeah. that'll that'll have a big year you have rookies jamar chase and jalen waddle now who are just drafted into the afc i think it's a deep deep pool of wide receivers and with how the colts like to spread the ball around still even though i think ty is the alpha in this group i don't think he's going to be able to get any type of numbers that compete with at least three or four of those guys so a pro bowl nod is probably out of the question for ty at this point of his career even though like i said I love me some T.Y., and I think he's going to have a resurgent season, just not that resurgent. Yeah, he would have to, you know, go back to T.Y. of five years ago and nearly lead the league in receiving to make it again this year. And uh, to do that, he might need a 12 throwing him the ball. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, uh, 12 isn't coming back no. anytime soon. No. So I, I'd agree with you. I don't think any Colts receivers make it. First-time Pro Bowlers. Um, there's a slew of Colts who are, of course, vying for their first Pro Bowl. Joe, I'd like to hear your opinion first, and then I will give my opinion on first-time Pro Bowlers. Once again, we've said that there's four repeat guys that we'd like to make the Pro Bowl, and the max is basically seven. That's how many guys last year was the most for any team. So what first-year guys do you think could make a uh, first-year first time in the Pro Bowl on this roster? I actually have two. Yep. Um, I'm going to start with Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he should have made the Pro Bowl last year over Josh Jacobs. He had more rushing yards and receiving yards than Josh Jacobs. Taylor's average of 5.0 yards per carry was far better than Jacobs' average of 3.9. And Taylor has that name recognition now. He's basically a star going into his second year. Fans love him, so I think he's going to get the votes. Um, He does have some competition. Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Najee Harris... J.K. Dobbins are kind of uh, his top 
competitors for that third spot because I don't think Nick Chubb and Derek Henry are going anywhere. I think yeah. those guys are going to return as Again, Pro Bowlers. With health, like those two guys are probably locked in. Yeah. And it, I will say it will help this year that they're actually going to play the Pro Bowl. So there might be some alternate alternates. Yes get in, whereas last year there were no alternates because there was no game. That's a good point. They just played Madden or something like yeah. that. Um, so I think Snoop Dogg was playing it for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was weird. It was weird. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm glad it's back this year. And that might give a few more uh, players opportunities to add Pro Bowl to their resume. Um, but I think the top guy for the Colts who hasn't been elected yet, who will this year, will be Jonathan Taylor. I I like that pick of Taylor for sure. I had him on my possible first-timers. The thing that could work against him is if Marlon Mack has a bigger role uh, coming back. And and, and I still think Taylor is, again, talking like T.Y. Hilton, the alpha of that group. But just how much, in terms of numbers, does Marlon Mack take away? How much does Naheem Hines take away out of the backfield? When you're looking at guys like... Um, like especially Derrick Henry, he like he's the guy, the guy out there. And there are a couple of other guys around the yeah. league, like a Josh Jacobs, who's going into his next year, who's getting better by the year. He does. He Even has to though, share with Kenyon Drake now. He does though. now. Well, we'll see how much of a share that is. We'll see. But <laughs> Nick uh, Chubb yeah, shares in yeah, Cleveland. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, he does. Uh, it's a good point. Hunt and so, so, so yes. So that that's possible. I, I I like that pick. So you said you had two. You have another one. Yeah, my other one is uh, Kenny Moore. Okay. And just because he, I think he's the best Colt who hasn't made a Pro Bowl yet. And I think hard to argue with that. There's a darn good argument to be made that he should have made it last year over a few cornerbacks. Um, With the past three seasons, Kenny Moore averages three interceptions and two sacks per year, uh, which is pretty darn good. Uh, Last year, he had four interceptions, two sacks, 13 passes defended, and 76 total tackles. All those numbers in each statistical category best the numbers of Tredavious White, who made it ahead of him. They're better than Stephon Gilmore's numbers, who he also missed five games. Um, and Kenny Moore had more interceptions and passes defended than Marlon Humphrey, who also made the Pro Bowl instead of Kenny Moore last year. I'm not going to argue Kenny Moore versus Savian Howard, who was the fourth corner. When you have nine interceptions like Howard had it's last gonna year, it's going to get you in. You deserve to get in. <laughs> Um, but I think Kenny Moore, you just look at his numbers and numbers alone, he should have made it instead of those players last year. I understand there's a lot more than numbers at cornerback. If you're doing your job, you're probably not even going to have the ball thrown your way. Um, but I just think there's an argument to be made and hopefully Kenny gets in this year. Um, looking at his competition besides the players who made it last year, you got guys like Byron Jones with the Dolphins, JC Jackson, who I said, I'd eight interceptions last year uh Denzel Ward Kyle Fuller comes over to the Broncos from the Bears he's been a good cornerback for years and then Chris Harris is still um he's another slot cornerback Mm -hmm. but he's over there and uh with the LA Chargers so I think Kenny Moore his highlight interception that the NFL keeps playing um where he one-handed it against the Raiders I think that's kind of uh, gotten his name out there to I the so too. fans a little bit more. Hopefully they'll come around on Kenny Moore being a star and get him in the Pro Bowl. I would love year. it. He needs some numbers. He needs some early interceptions this year and just to get his name out there. Because that's something that worked against Jonathan Taylor. His his push was at the end of the year after people had already started voting for and everything. I think you Buckner, know? too. He had a yeah. few sacks towards yep. the end of the season. Because yep. they announce it in like December they or do. something yeah, like that. I was like, that. come on. Yeah, get 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 some early results, Kenny Moore. And then I think you have a chance. I like both of those guys. They didn't quite make the cut for me, 
Um, there are three other guys I wanted to mention as possible first-timers that I like, Braden Smith, but again, it comes back to our discussion about all the tackles that are there, especially left tackles in the NFL that are that are really good. And if it's going to be tough for Eric Fisher to break into that top three, it's certainly going to be tough for Braden to break into that top three, too. Julian Blackman, your boy from last week, one yeah, of your breakout performers breakout. for the Colts this year. If he cannot hit that rookie wall, if he can continue to making those game-changing plays that he did in the first half of last season, then look out. I think there's a there's a spot to be had there in the secondary, perhaps. And then my last one was Rigo Sanchez. Um, for for punters, it's hard to get better than Rigo. The thing that he doesn't have going for him, though, is he's not going to have the biggest number, I don't think, because the Colts do move the ball better than a lot of teams. So some of their punts are shorter. Like he's going to get a lot of inside the 20 kicks, I think, or maybe inside the 10. And that's awesome. But I think for the most part, people look at big numbers and big legs when it comes to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If your net is like is 50 or is like 48. uh, But Rigo's is going to be more along the lines of probably 42, 43. But at the same time, that's that's what you want if you're the Colts in those situations. So um, so th- I, I think the, the Colts wouldn't take any punter besides Rigo. They, they love him. I know they do. Everybody yeah. on that team and in the coaching staff loves to have him, and he's really good at directing the ball, at pun- pinning it inside the 10. So like, he, he, made, he was close for me, close. Um, but, again, didn't make the cut. I also had two other first-timers I think could be pro bowlers. Number one was George Odom, who was a special teams all-pro last year. And when you look at the AFC, it's been Matthew Slater, basically. I don't know like 10 of the last 12 years, earning that spot. Uh, he's turning 36 years old. Joe, there's going to come a time when <laughs> when Matthew Slater cannot be a gunner on punt team anymore. I'm not predicting it's this year, but at the same time, it's going to come eventually. So I'm going to say George Odom takes that spot for one as a special teams performer after coming off his uh, all-pro year last year. Number two, as a returner, I like Naheem Hines. Okay. I think Naheem Hines could be elected as a returner, and I think his production at running back will help him in that area, too. Because if you get elected to the Pro Bowl as a returner, again, if you're doing it by the vote, if people know who you are back there, they're more likely to vote for you. And he, people certainly know who Naheem Hines is because he's averaging 70 catches per season. And well, if he's like last year, he's getting carries inside the five-yard line for some reason. So we'll see if that happens this year, if it works this year. <laughs> That's a different topic. But, but about Naheem... Like the last two guys to go in the AFC as returners were Andre Roberts with the Bills last year and Nicole Hardman as a rookie with the Chiefs in 2020. Now, people stopped kicking the ball to Hardman, wisely so, because he's darn good at what he does last year. Andre Roberts is now with the Texans. I don't know how often the Texans are going to force the opposing team to punt, to be perfectly honest. Good so. Point. So I don't know how many opportunities he's going to get. Or how many national games the Texans are going to get. That too. Uh, and, and Roberts is also going to be 33 years old. So he's getting a little bit older. Naheem Hines improved to average 10 yards per punt return last year. And for a guy who didn't score a touchdown on a punt return, that is darn good. 10 yards per punt return is a hefty average. So when he takes off, he usually gains some yardage. Uh, he doesn't return kicks, which is going against him. Yeah. And for the most part, he returned a few. Well, um, Isaiah Rogers is the primary kick returner. That's who I thought you were going to say when you first said as a returner. No, I'm going with Naheem. And again, I think that's mainly the idea that if he can break one for a for a touchdown again early in the year and he has the kind of productive year as a receiver out of the backfield that I think he can have. I think Hines can break into that role as the AFC returner because of kind of the joint effort between his production as a running back, even though it's technically not part of the 
the uh, discussion there and his production as a punt returner. Do you think Hines will get more return opportunities with Marlon Mack coming back and the Colts coaching staff maybe be not that they'll value Hines less on the offense, but if he got hurt on special teams, you still have Mack, you still have Wilkins, you have more depth there. Um, than where last year, where it was Hines and Taylor, it was more so you couldn't afford to lose Naheem Hines. Do you think he'll get a few more return opportunities? Yeah, that's possible. I think he still got a whole heck of a lot last year. Like, he was their main punt returner even even last year. Yeah, so, I want to see him on kickoffs. I wonder why. It's kind of interesting They still liked Isaiah, and Isaiah yeah. was a pretty good kickoff returner. He was though. very good. Yeah. Now, he did have the touchdown. Yeah. So I think you stick Isaiah and... Well, I remember it used to be you'd stick two Paris guys was out back there, there sometimes, too, wasn't he? Paris I Campbell? Think early Paris Yeah, had a and few. then he was hurt. And maybe uh, they'll probably not have Paris returning punts until he proves he could stay healthy as a wide receiver. Let's keep him not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got other options. But I like that. I kind of overlooked the returners. I almost included Blankenship. But of then, course you did. <laughs> my, my boy. But then I was like, well, there's no way he's going to make it over Justin Tucker. Seriously. And then Harrison and Bucker. Bucker. Like, yeah. you, you just look at, again, th- that's not, I don't want this to be a knock against, yeah, against uh, Rex Bex, but... Yeah, you, you look at who else is there, and you're just like, man, I don't I don't see it happening. No, no. He would have to have almost like a record-setting year. And then even still, Justin Tucker is probably going to get the votes anyway. Well, speaking of record-setting years, some cold suit could or should set some statistical milestones or reach some statistical milestones, I should say, in this 2021 season. Uh, well, we didn't we didn't talk about Carson Wentz. Sorry, his percentage chance oh, that yeah. he makes the Pro Bowl. My bad, because um, I'm just seeing Carson Wentz mentioned multiple times here. He's the first one on the statistical milestones list here in our rundown. We'll get to him, but percentage chance for Carson Wentz to make the Pro Bowl. I don't think it's very high, Joe. Um, because again, you have Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen there, one, two in the AFC. Mm-hmm. So everyone is competing for that third spot. Uh, you have guys like Deshaun Watson. If he plays, he made it last year, he made it last year. And if he plays, it's going to be hard to beat him this year because they're just going to throw the ball all the time, I think. And if he stays healthy, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the game. Uh, Justin Herbert from the chargers, I think is really good, really tantalizing. They're going to throw the ball a lot, a lot more than the Colts will. Ryan Tannehill, now that he has Julio Jones, is intriguing to go along with A.J. Brown. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I think, and Carson Wentz are very similar. They're supposed to be in run-heavy offenses that can pass the ball. And if you look at the Browns receiving core, you might take that over the Colts receiving core. If you get Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry out there, might take that over the full Colts receiving core, I think. I think I probably would. Yeah, it's, it's, it's top-heavy, I think, but at the same time, it's probably better overall. So... Um, so and, uh, it, it's going to be hard for Lamar Carson Jackson. and Lamar Jackson. I, I didn't even say Lamar Jackson. So uh, it's and, and they got they got somebody in the draft. They got Bateman, didn't Bateman they? In the Bateman. first round, so, they signed yeah, that, Sammy Watkins. Bateman could so. be the steal in the first round. And yeah, they, yeah, yeah he, he another wide receiver again for that could be a Pro Bowl or as a rookie. Um, so anyway, like there, there's I think there's too many guys and too many teams that want to pass it more than the Colts want to pass it. Uh, Carson Wentz, I think a stellar season for him would be 4,300 yards passing. Uh, 28 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Something like yeah. that would be great. But that's not going to be – those aren't Pro Bowl numbers. No, he would also have to rush for seven touchdowns right. and 500 yards to then make the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I agree. No. I'm going to put my percentage chance at maybe like 5%. Yeah, I think maybe 10 to 15 max yeah, for me. Yeah, the f- 5 to 10. Um, And that doesn't – like we just said, it doesn't mean he's not going to have a good season. I think he will have a good season for the Colts. He's just not at that MVP level of a Mahomes or a Josh Allen or a Lamar Jackson. 
Uh, I think those three are the favorites because Deshaun Watson, who knows if he's going to even suit up or not. Yeah. So now we get to statistical milestones. Carson Wentz is 3,100, well, 3,189 to be specific, passing yards shy of 20,000 passing yards in his career. He's also 37 touchdown passes short of 150 for his career. Will he reach these milestones? Joe, I think the first half, it's it's 100%. If he's healthy, he will make that milestone. And for the second half, it's about 0% that he'll make that <laughs> milestone. So what, one out of two ain't bad. Yeah, I think he'll get one out of two. If he throws 37 Then touchdowns. he'll be a Pro Bowl. Yeah, then he'll <laughs> yeah. make the Pro Bowl for sure. Uh, and if he doesn't get the 3,200 yards needed for the 20,000, I think the Colts uh, keep their first-round pick next year Yep, uh, is what's going to happen. So um, Carson Wentz, uh, me and those thir- 37 touchdowns is a lot. It is. And, and la- last year, uh, P- Phillip Rivers threw for about 4,100, 4,200. So if you're Carson Wentz and you only need 3,100, 3,200, that, that's, that's very doable. Very doable in today's NFL. T.Y. Hilton comes back to the Colts for another year. He is 640 yards short of 10,000 receiving yards and also only 23 catches shy of Raymond Barry for third most in Colts history. And, and a beautiful stat here. If T.Y. reaches 10,000 receiving yards, the Colts will be the only NFL franchise with three 10,000-yard receiver, receivers. I think that it's a good chance that he makes both of those. 23 catches. If you're healthy, T.Y. Hilton's going to make that. Mm-hmm. 640 yards. If he's healthy, T.Y. Hilton's going to make that. And, and, and what a testament it has been to the Colts over the past 20 years, Joe, to have some prolific receivers, um, including Reggie Wayne and Syracuse University's own Marvin Harrison, uh, to, to be elite and elite, the elite of the elite at what they do. Have some great quarterbacks passing them the ball, no doubt about it. But uh, T.Y. Hilton is probably very likely to join that company and push the Colts into rarefied air in NFL history. Yeah, and I'm happy T.Y. is on the Colts because I think he's going to help them this season. But I'm also glad he re-signed with Indianapolis so he could reach some of these milestones as he kind of fades into the back of his career, his last one, two, three years tops, I would say. Let's do another pass catcher in tight end, Jack Doyle. This one is an intriguing one. Both of them, real. Well, all three of them are very intriguing to me. Uh, he is 44 catches away from 300 for his career. He is four touchdowns away from 25 touchdowns and move up to 13th most in Colts catch, TD catch history. And he is 573 yards shy of 3,000. From those, I think the most likely one for him to pass... This, this is tough. This is really tough for me. It's between the first two. I don't think he's going to reach 573 yards. I think that's maybe a bridge too far. Like, he's nine point, as, as Chapel refers to him, 9.6 yards per catch Jack Doyle. So I think 44 catches right around there is accurate. It's about 400 yards. But I, I, am, I am right on the fence for, for catches and touchdowns, maybe slightly more in favor of the touchdowns that he'll hit four. 44 catches maybe a little too high maybe between 35 and 40 is what I think might happen with Jack this year but Carson Wentz certainly did have a great rapport with uh, Zach Ertz over the years so I'd say all three of these are possible I think touchdowns is the most likely Jack has been really good in the red zone over his career very good in the red zone and so if I had to pick one of them I'd pick touchdowns and I would say probably not for the other two. That's where I'm leading right now. I'd agree with you. I think he'll get those in 2022. Yeah. Um, but he just, the Colts are going to run three tight end sets, and he's going to share with Mo Alley Cox and hopefully Kylan Granson. Now, if Granson 
isn't up for the task in his rookie year, maybe Jack Doyle can get to 44 catches. I think he had 43 in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but the yardage, he could have 50 catches for like 400 yards. Jack That's Doyle. the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think he. I think there's a good chance he gets four touchdowns. He had three last year, four the year before. 44 catches and 573 yards seems steep. I agree. On the other side of the ball, DeForest Buckner, 12 sacks shy of 50. Now, you may say to yourself, that's a lot of sacks, especially for an interior defensive lineman. But, 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 in his one Pro Bowl season, 2018, he did have... 12 sacks, Joe. He's done it before. He has. So two years ago, his last year with the Niners, he had seven sacks. And last year with the Colts in his first game with the franchise, he missed a game and had nine and a half sacks. So very close to double digits. 12 is possible. If you're asking me to bet on it, I would say no. I'll take the under. Yes, exactly. But I would say there's still at least a 30, 33% chance. I'll give him a one in three chance to get 12 sacks. I'd go with those odds. I think, and especially with the lack of established pass rushers at defensive end, he might be the guy gobbling up all the sacks. Yep. Um, Because there were some times last year where he kind of made some pressure up the middle and some of the other guys cleaned it up. So I I certainly think it's possible. I think far and away, if you're going to bet who leads the Colts in sacks, it's nobody but DeForest Buckner. That's a good point, yeah. Um, But 12 matching his career high, that'd be a steep task. If he gets to 12, he's making the Pro Bowl. That's, yeah, he better make the Pro Bowl. <laughs> yeah. like that, that'd be great to chat with him just leading up to the vote uh, if he has 12 sacks at that point or darn close to it. I think that'd be really funny. DeForest seems like a really like a, a good, funny he guy. He's like yeah. a cool guy. Yeah, he does. Anyway, Darius Leonard, 84 total tackles from 500, five sacks away from 20 sacks, three interceptions away from 10 interceptions for his career. Will he reach these milestones? I think he gets them all. Hey, I like it. <laughs> I, I, I like your optimism. I, I will say 100% chance he gets 84 total tackles, uh, assuming he stays healthy always, of course. Five sacks and three interceptions, that's right around his his normal levels. Uh, he, he gets those five sacks a year. Like uh, he, he gets two or three interceptions a year. Joe's looking up his stats well, right last now. Last year he had zero interceptions. Well, never mind. It's, it's been going down. He had three sacks, no picks last year. The year before, he had five and five. There you go, yeah. Um, and then seven inters. Oh, wait, no, that's career. Sorry. Jeez, Joe. Google did me wrong. Uh, as a rookie, he had two interceptions and seven sacks. Yeah, three interceptions is probably high for me for a linebacker. Um, it's very optimistic. Uh, he gets more of those forced fumbles for sure. Five sacks, I think I would bet on him getting five sacks. I would, especially if you have uh, defensive ends that you're trying to help out earlier in the year. He's we might see, a, yeah, we might see a little bit more Darius Leonard uh, blitzing off the edge or blitzing off the middle or whatever it might be, trying to generate a pass rush until those guys develop a little bit, until you get Dio Odangabo in the lineup, and d- until Quiddy Pay really gets his feet set under him. Uh, you might have to blitz a little bit more, and that's okay. So I think five sacks uh, could reach 20 this year for sure. He will almost assuredly reach 500 tackles. I'm going to hold off on three interceptions to make 10 for now. That'll be the toughest one. Exactly. Not impossible for, for Darius Leonard by any stretch of the imagination, but I would say unlikely. Yeah, he he, di- he has not reached three interceptions in two of his three years. Yep. Um, so that'll be the toughest one. But he did get five one year and two the other, so it's not out of the question. Uh, I think... That would be a heck of a year if he got five sacks, three interceptions, and he's going to get way over 84 total tackles. If he stays healthy, he'll probably be like 130, 140, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, I tried to look up, because Darius gets a lot of tackles, I tried to look up you know, if he was near the top as far as most tackles within a player's first four years. 
It's not even close. Patrick Willis was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Willis had a ton of tackles yep. for San Francisco, so he was not close to that. Well, still, uh, a, a heck of a player in Darius. The Colts are glad they have him. If you would be interested in chatting with us throughout the week, you can find us online at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter. Uh, pose any questions you might like, and we might get to them over the next couple weeks because we're going to do some previews of the offense and defense over the next two weeks before training camp starts up three weeks from now. So I'm sure you have a lot of questions, and uh, we have, uh, I'm not, not uh, uh, what's the word, not proud enough to say we have all the answers, but we can at least shed some I'll light on some of them. Might yeah, not yeah, be exactly. the right I'll give you an answer. Exactly. You might not like the answer I give you. <laughs> like, like nobody liked my answer that that was an interception last year against the Baltimore Ravens. Nobody likes it, but I'll give you an answer. So, uh, and also be sure to subscribe to us on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week when we drop so you have that knowledge at your fingertips. For Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. Mike Chappell, soon to come back and join our discussion. I promise you that. Thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we will see you next time.